Hello everyone, this is Lisa Fields, the founder and president of the Jew3 Project, and I'm so excited that you've taken the time to listen to another episode of the Jew3 Project podcast. We want to give a special thank you to our financial partners. We could not do what we do without you. We have been able to reach tens of thousands of people across the globe through our podcasts, social media outlets, online courses, curriculum, conference and events and tours because of your generous support. If you aren't a monthly partner, please consider partnering with us at Jew3Project.org by hitting the Donate tab. There's an option to give online or to mail in your gift. Thank you so much. We appreciate it. Every gift you give helps equip. Remember, our online course is now available at learn.Jew3Project.org. Our new curriculum, Through Eyes of Color, a contextualized guide to helping you know what you believe and why, is available on Amazon and at througheyesofcolor.com and at jew3project.org. We thank you for listening and your support and your prayers. We're able to do what we do because of people like you. Thank you so much, and we hope that this episode blesses you. Have a great day. Hello, welcome to the Jew3 Project Podcast. I'm your host, Lisa Fields. I'm the founder of the Jew3 Project. Well, thank you for watching another episode of the Jew3 Project Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Lisa Fields, the founder of the Jew3 Project. And I'm so excited to have another um, special guest with us this week, Mr. Greg Kokel. Welcome, Greg. Hey, I'm so glad to be with you, Lisa. Thanks for the opportunity. Thanks for being with us. I met you years ago uh, at Biola uh, for apologetics uh, leadership meeting. So it's good to have you finally on the podcast to talk about your, your famous book, Tactics. Oh, wow. Thank you. <laughs> For those who don't know who you are, just give the audience a little bit of a background. Well, uh, I'm the founder and president of Stand to Reason, which is an organization that builds Christian ambassadors. And um, what we're trying to do is take um, an incarnational approach. We are trying to build ambassadors that have knowledge, wisdom, and character. And these are the three elements that make a solid Christian representative, we think. Uh, the tactical element that you just mentioned is part of the wisdom, the tactical wisdom, the ability to take the knowledge that we have and maneuver with it in a gracious but effective way in conversations. And uh, Standard Reason has been around uh, in May. It'll be 27 years. It's amazing. The time is flying so much. Um, and uh, God has been really generous to us. We've been... Uh, had an opportunity, an impact, not only all over the country, but in many parts of the world. And uh, in fact, I was in four different continents this last, the last year, 2019. So uh, we've been really, really thrilled at the way God has been working. Um, I, I have my own radio show for the last 30 years. Actually, I have my 30 year anniversary. Oh, I think I just, it's yesterday. Well, happy anniversary. Thank you. And uh, so entering my 31st year of radio and broadcasting and now podcasting, of course. And um, and so we have a, a large staff of 18 people that four speakers that travel and and uh, I write. And one of the tactics is one of the books and there's some others, too. But this just gives you a general idea uh, of what I'm all about. My heart really is for discipleship. 
not so much for evangelism, like some people who do the kind of thing that that we do, Lisa, but my heart is principally for discipleship, trying to transfer concepts to other Christians to build them up to uh, to extend the kingdom. Mm-hmm. I think that's so, so helpful. Um, when, when I think about your book, and this is the 10-year anniversary, so it's updated and expanded now, um, a- what was the catalyst for you, you writing it um, 10 years ago? Well, um, it was a number of factors. Now I think about it. Uh, the big thing is, is I, I had stumbled upon some ways of approaching the evangelism project um, and also ways of engaging people that I thought were really helpful, really effective, and were uh, especially well-suited to people who might be a little bit timid and a little bit shy um, and don't know what to say. And so they're sitting on the bench somewhere and they're not in play. And so I had actually been working with the tactical notions for probably 10 years before the book came out and doing teaching on it and refining in the process of teaching, refining the approaches that I summed up in the book. Um, so that came out 10 years ago and it's been a bestseller um, since then. And so the 10 year anniversary 2019 um, was, I thought a good time to uh, rework some of the material, go back over it and see um, what I could improve of what was already there. And uh, there was a lot that I could improve because I've learned new ways to teach the material that I wanted to include um, and expand what was already there. But there's also new challenges that Christians are facing now um, in, in the culture. And I wanted to update with that. And there are a bunch of new tactics, maneuvers in conversation that I had refined and developed that weren't even in the first book. So all of those things came to bear on the idea of rewriting and updating and expanding uh, the second edition, as you show the 10th anniversary edition here. And here, I got both of the books here. You can see <laughs> this is the first, this is the second. I mean, it's a, it's a big difference. It's 40% plus more material in the, mm-hmm. in the second edition, lots of new chapters, double the amount of tactics almost. So these are, um, and the response I've gotten over the last 10 years with this book has been unbelievable, Lisa. Uh, people, People consistently tell me, and I'm chuckling because it's so strange to hear this in a certain way, but they tell me that, that this, this material, this book, the tactical approach, the game plan has changed their lives. And in a way, I'm not surprised because it changed my life, too, and my ability to engage in a productive way. And, um, and so I, I, yet I'm still humbled to hear that and excited at the same time. Uh, in fact, the new book came out um, November. So just a couple of months ago, but two and a half months ago or whatever. And I went on Amazon yesterday, checked it. I think I have about 128 reviews and um, one review is four star and all the rest are five stars. So um, I'm really happy with that. And uh, the four star didn't give any reason why they just put a four star. Maybe they wanted to break the run. I don't know. Oh. But the point is, really, is that people have been responding really well to the material Mm -hmm. that warms my heart as a discipler to see that. And they are putting it in play and it's changing their lives. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think your old book has 688 because I was looking at um, Amazon uh, before we started and um, I was like, it's a blessing to have that many reviews on Amazon. Yeah. So, <laughs> congrats. Well, most of them are favorable. Every once in a while you get people who don't like it. That's okay. 
it is everybody. So um, when you think about Christians and just the day-to-day challenge of sharing their faith, especially people who get into apologetics and really like the information, what do you think their number one stumbling block is when they're trying to take the information they have and and engage with the average person? That is a great question, uh, Lisa, and it, there are actually two things because you just identified two different groups of people. Uh, so let's just start with the more aggressive type, uh, my type, you know, maybe your type too. I don't know you that well, but people who do apologetics um, usually do it because they like it. They're convinced uh, that for good reason that Christianity is true and they, they want to um, tell other people how they're wrong and we're right. I mean, in, in a simple way, that's what's going on, but because that's their their project. And of course, that is the project of evangelism, no matter how you comport yourself. But with more aggressive types, they come across too aggressive. And so we're, we, we see these encounters as almost gladiator events. And we see these things on TV and in debates, and it's who can draw the most blood from the other side, who's faster on their feet, who's got the cleverer kind of statements uh, and stuff like that. And this is not our project at all. And so on, on the one hand, for the people that are more aggressive, um, I really want to, uh, um, to pull them back a ways and, and not be preaching, okay? Uh, as you know, the tactical game plan that we talk about and the subtitle of the book is A Game Plan for Discussing Your Christian Convictions. So there's an actual plan in play here um, that most of the tactics are meant to serve. And that game plan is a question-asking game plan. So the center of our game plan, I call it Columbo because of Lieutenant Columbo on TV fame uh, 40 years ago, you know, I used to kind of scratch his head and with a cigar and the whole deal. And uh, and, uh, something about this thing that bothers me, you know, and he asks questions, but that's how he's able to maneuver effectively in conversations without scaring people away. And I think this is something we can learn from. So the tactical game plan provides us with a couple of questions that I think the aggressive folks like me need in order to slow us down, to soften our approach and allow the other person to talk more. And in fact, what we need is we need more information from the other person that we're engaged with um, to find out exactly where they're at and what their problems with Christianity happen to be and what their objections are and to zero in on the objections. Well, people will say very general things like, uh, well, belief in God is, is irrational. And so the Christians think, you know, how do I answer that challenge? Well, I don't answer the challenge. I have a question. The question is what's irrational about it. I don't know what they think. I don't think it's irrational. I just want them. So I asked them, really? What, to explain to me. I'm curious. What is irrational about belief in God? Now it's their turn. Okay. I let them talk. And then I want to ask more questions from the answer explanation that they give. So notice that what this does for me as a more aggressive person is it slows me down. It, um, I, I'm taking a more friendly approach. I'm not jumping on them and, oh, here's where you're wrong kind of attitude. Um, And I'm listening. Now, I'll tell you a secret about this. Um, And you may know this just from using some of the tactics. When you start asking people questions about their own view, it it hit that, first of all, it throws the ball in their court and so buys you some time to think. But we want you to think, not just thinking, but listening. And what you're going to find out is a lot of people don't know what to say. 
they they know how to challenge you. Oh, that's stupid. That's ridiculous. That's irrational to believe in God. All right. How so? Help me understand this. What what ex- precisely? And then dead air. You know, they don't know. They don't know what to say because they haven't thought about it. I call this a Simon and Garfunkel moment. You know, those two guys that wrote that song back in 1966 called The Sounds of Silence. <laughs> <laughs> That's what you get. So anyway, briefly, for the more aggressive crowd, we want them to slow down, talk less, and ask more questions. And what they'll find out is a lot of times, even without us making our case, they're going to um, create doubt or appropriate challenge in another person's view by asking questions. Okay, now let's shift to the other group. And this is the much larger group, the, the group of people who would like to have a bigger impact, who would like to get in play, who knows they're supposed to engage and share their convictions with other people and all of that stuff, but they just are too scared to do it especially as the culture gets heated up, there's more hostility, they're going to sit on the bench because they don't know what to do. They might know, well, I can use a little tract here and I can read the tract and ask them if they want to pray to receive Christ. But, you know, frankly, most people are not ready for their harvest, especially in our culture now. There's a lot more, the way I put it is, a lot more gardening that's necessary in their life before they're ready to harvest. Look, when when fruit is ripe, it's very easy to harvest it. It, mm. it falls into the basket, right? Mm-hmm. The, hard, the hard part is in the gardening. And so this is what I want people to focus in on. It in the game plan, I provide something for uh, the, the, the guidelines that I were just offering to the more aggressive type are absolutely golden for the more, more timid type. Because with the at least the first two steps of the game plan, this allows the more timid person to get into play in a very casual way very relaxed, drawing out the other person, getting information from the other person about their views and why they hold their view. Okay. So the first two questions go in both directions. So what essentially, what is your view? What do you mean by what you just said? Help me understand it. Just like I offered to the more aggressive person when he hears God, belief in God is irrational. Really? Tell me more. (laughs) What do you mean by that? That's the first step gathering that information with that question what do you mean and then after they've expressed their meaning for their view we want to know why they think their view is a good one so we want to know their reasons that they believe what they believe contrary to christianity or why they believe the objection they are raising is a good objection so if somebody says well the bible has been changed we don't have now what was written 2000 years ago Okay, well, see, if they say it's been changed, I want to I want them to tell me more what they mean. Then they might say that second line. We don't have now what we had then. Okay, okay, I think I understand your view now. Here's the question that you you can help me with. See, I'm role playing at the moment. Can you tell me why you're convinced that the Bible has been changed? Oh, this is a different kind of question. Now I'm looking for the reasons for their conviction. Okay. Notice, by the way, though, for me in this position, I'm in a completely passive, I shouldn't say completely, but largely passive position. I certainly am not advancing my own views. I'm inviting the other person to talk about his views, what they are, and his reasons for it. Notice that since I'm not putting anything on the line, I am um, safe. I'm not making any claims at this point. I'm listening to them. And so until I start 
asserting my own view. I have nothing to defend, and therefore I'm in a position of complete safety. Now, I think the more aggressive part, folks are going to hear that, and they're going, well, wait a minute, what? when do we get in a fight kind of deal? Mm-hmm. And part of what I want, to, uh, I want to emphasize for people who are not familiar with the tactical game plan is um, you even the first two steps that I described, where the Christian is not advancing his or her own view, you are still going to make incredible progress in the thinking of the other person just with those steps. And I know that from my own experience, and I know that from what other people have told me. So the the key here is for the timid types, the first two steps of the game plan, it's a three-step game plan. The first two steps, you gather information by asking, what do you mean by that? Then you, uh, you, 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 what I call reverse the burden of proof. You, you ask for them to give the evidence for the view they just asserted. Okay. Well, those are really easy. The third step, you're still going to use questions, but you're going to use questions to make a point. So maybe your own point of view, or maybe you saw a weakness or a flaw in the other person's view. And that's what the other tactics will help you to do is find those flaws. Okay. Um, Once you do, you want to use a question to exploit it. Now, in the book, I have lots and lots and lots and lots of illustrations of real life circumstances that I've been in where I've done this. And many who listen to my own podcast can can uh, can hear me doing it with callers all the time. But I'm never in a fight with these people. I'm relaxed uh, and 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 things are going just fine. And even when I'm with Christian groups, who, when I'm teaching this, and they say, well, how do I respond to my friend who says this? I say, okay, you be your friend, and I'll be me, and let's role play it. And then I work, I, I role play the questions, the techniques, the very simple things with them. So uh, kind of a long answer to your, your short question, but um, for the aggressive people, this is going to pull them back a little bit and require that they listen a little bit more. And in so doing, they're going to be more effective. For the less aggressive people, this is a technique or a plan that will allow them to get off the bench and into play, but in a very safe way. What I tell people is I don't want them to be worried about swinging for the fences. Don't even be thinking about winning that person to Christ, okay? We're not there. We're gardening. We're not harvesting. I don't even care, back to the baseball metaphor, uh, I don't want them swinging for the fences. I don't, I don't even care if they get on base. That's not my goal. I just want to get them in the batter's box. That's it. And that's what the game plan will help them to do. And I think that is so helpful and crucial to ask questions. I think about how Jesus, how many questions Jesus asked yes. in response to the question he was asked. He was proposing additional questions to the questions and i think a lot of people feel this thing like i have to defend christ um and they have that burden i can't let you misrepresent him and i think of the humility it took for jesus to be with people who constantly misinterpreted his words and not pick a fight every time that's Um, right great observation he actually asked more than 300 questions i don't have the exact figure in my mind but it's a lot over 300 mm -hmm. and he answered very few directly um uh, so it is it is extremely helpful to to think through that. At what point uh, I know people are listening and say, what point do I get to insert or give a direct rebuttal to a uh, a, 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 a false belief? Okay. Um, 
how would you tell them to do that? Because I think people think it has to be in every conversation. Yeah, like they have to correct every error in every conversation. Yes, you're you're right. There is that impulse, and you're also right that Jesus didn't do that in every situation. But um, I think it it this is something you kind of learn as you start doing this. And my encouragement to people is to get into the shallow end of the pool. Okay, don't think about answering all the challenges of rebutting all the views. You may not be able to do that. In other words, to rebut a view, you have to have some information about what's wrong with the view. And then you have to have the skill to maneuver in that conversation without getting into a fight with that person, uh, helping them to see the problem. Now, that's the third use of Columbo, the tactic. And it's a little bit more advanced. So on the one hand, I'm going to encourage people in general, don't worry about answering the challenges yet. Just be a student of other people's views. All right. You want to learn to ride a bicycle. Um, you, you don't you don't take a road trip with a bike. You, you, you have somebody holding the handlebar and walking in circles while you get used to balancing and stuff like that. You do the basic things first a bunch of times till they kind of become second nature before you start doing something more challenging. And so in general, that's my encouragement. Um, that's why I said start with the first two steps, gathering information, finding out the reasons for their views. Now, if it turns out. Um, and this is entirely based on the kind of conversation you're in. So there's no simple or single answer here. But if it turns out that you you see a problem in somebody's view, oh, I, I know the problem there, you know, well, you could just tell them. You could just say, well, here's the here's here's the problem with what you're saying. OK, but that would be inelegant and not as effective as taking a tactical approach. Let me give you one example. So there was a young man I was talking to uh, asking, he's non-Christian and he was asking me about some moral views of Christianity. And so I, I answered his question and then he said, well, you Christians, you know, you're nice people, but you, you get judgmental. Okay. So um, now he's just made a mistake that he didn't realize. And maybe your, your viewers are not aware of this, but uh, I asked him a question to clarify his view and 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 to and to, to and in a certain sense make him a bigger target all right and so i said well what's wrong with that and he says well it's wrong to judge okay now what is he doing when he tells me that in light of our conversation he's judging me for the view i had so he is telling me it's wrong to judge and the action itself is a judgment against me Okay, so he's doing the very thing he sh he's telling me I shouldn't be doing. Mm -hmm. Now, I call this practical suicide. Okay, it's in the book. This whole conversation, by the way, is in the book. So, so look, I, I, you, I could say, um, Gil, his name was Gilbert. Gil, you're doing the very thing you're telling me not to do. Now, that would be a fair thing to say. But notice I'm, I'm in a sense proclaiming it. I'm preaching it. I'm telling him where he's wrong. It's accurate, but it's not elegant. It's not tactically shrewd. So in this particular circumstance, I asked a question to accomplish that end. He said, I said, what's wrong with that? And he says, it's wrong to judge. And so then I said, well, Gil, if it's wrong to judge, then why are you judging me right now? Why are you judging me right now? Now, he had never heard anything like that before. And he, it, it, it stopped him in his tracks. But... Notice, though, I did identify the problem, but I did it by using a question which put the ball back into his court. And now he's got to think of an answer. And his answer was, 
well, I guess it's okay to judge. That's what he said. But he wasn't going to let me off the hook. He said, but you can't push your morality on other people. You know, that's when you cross the line. So he thought he'd improved the situation. So I had another question. Is that your morality? And he said, yes, it is. And so, and you guys can probably imagine my next question. I said, well, if your own personal moral view is you're not supposed to push your moral view on other people, then why are you pushing your moral view on me right now? So he hadn't improved his situation. And how did I expose it? Not by accusing him, but by asking a question. And so this is, this is there's an example of me seeing the flaw, being aware that this is a self-destructive point of view. Um, it's committing suicide. That's the tactic we have in the book. When you recognize a view, self-destructs. But I'm using a question, the Colombo tactic, to employ the suicide tactic in a conversation to help a person to see where he just went wrong. So uh, there's an example of how that might work for people. But as to the specifics of your question, it's just different in different circumstances. If you're able to extract as much information as you can, you get a clear understanding and you're having a nice conversation, you see a problem, try to use a question to expose the problem rather than make a statement. Mm -hmm. That's extremely, extremely helpful. And I think it's harder to do because our culture most of our social interaction takes place online now. And many people are trying to do apologetics um, online and respond to claims online, which takes yeah. away um, the ability to ask questions and have a fluid conversation. Well, there is this personal element that is lost. That even, like, even though we're online, we're having a face-to-face -face kind of conversation. Mm -hmm. And so that, that is a very different kind of dynamic. People will say things online that they would never say to people, probably face to face. You know, there's this there's this freedom of anonymity and stuff, and it just brings out the worst in people. Now it now it doesn't mean though you can't use the question, Columbo tactic online. Uh, in some ways, it's it's there's even an advantage if you're going back and forth in an online conversation, because you don't have to be so quick on your feet. Conversations, you got to be right there. OK, but when you're online, you could think about it for a little bit and then craft a response and and send that out. Now, um, on the other hand, though, um, because you don't have that personal face to face element, it's it's a, the conversation is a little more drawn out. You can always ask for a person who says, well, it's it's crazy. It's ridiculous. It's weird to believe in God. You can always ask, tell me precisely what is irrational or crazy or weird about believing in God. We can type that out and see what they have to say. I think part of the difficulty of online conversations is that a person who objects is going to give a whole bunch of stuff all at once. There's going to be like 10 different details that each require clarification, and that's going to be hard to answer everything. So I think if somebody online should just uh, should ask, well, look, at you've got a lot of things there. Let's just talk about this one thing. I was confused about this charge. Okay, we can talk about other things later, but let's just focus on this one. Help me understand what you mean by this or how you came to the conclusion about this thing. And, and then they can lay that specific thing out and you can kind of shrink it down to a more manageable size that way. When we think about engaging people, how do you differentiate between someone who genuinely is seeking and trying to understand and someone who just wants to fight? I think that's a hard um, judgment to make. 
uh, because um, you, you, you just don't know what's going on in people's mind. And some people who seem like they're the most hostile, fighting the hardest, are the ones that um, maybe, and I've heard stories like this, I can't give you any personal anecdotes so much, but I've met people who became Christians and they were very hostile just before they became a Christian. And so it's hard to tell. And then there are other people that are really, okay, 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 okay. And then they never make a decision. You know, in the book of Acts, we got a guy, uh, uh, I can't remember, Agabus or I, I get the Festus or one of those guys. Oh, yeah, well, this may, you're going to make me a Christian. But then he never becomes a Christian as far as we know. He, he sends Paul away and he's gone for two years. He leaves him in jail. So it's hard to make that judgment. And so I think for the most part, if a person's willing to engage and we feel up to the task, sometimes we don't feel up to it. And I don't think we should wade into discussions that we, we just don't, we think are kind of over our head. No problem with just saying, yeah, I can't deal with that. I, I don't have the information or whatever. I'll have to come back to that or something. There's no problem with that. Uh, there's no problem with backing out if you think a person is way overly aggressive and you can't deal with that. Okay. If you think you can make some, you have a conversation that's working a little bit and you're you're up to the task, then I would say stay in the conversation. However, there is a kind of person that is a, what I call a steamroller. In fact, I have a chapter in the book titled Steamroller. And these are the kind of people that are always interrupting you. And they're kind of rolling over the top of you with the force of their personalities and with constant interruptions. And so these are the ones that I think you need to manage. And if you can't stop them, from doing that, and there's a three-step process, actually a two-step process of managing it. And if that doesn't work, the third step is to leave them. You know, that's it. And Jesus said, don't throw what is holy to, to swine, uh, your pearls before swine and what's holy to dogs. You know, it, it, and his point there is not that people are pigs or dogs, but that some circumstances are such that you just let it go. You don't pursue it any further. And so I talk about that a, a bit in the book. But if you feel like, I mean, to use Jesus' metaphor, if you feel like the good things that you're offering are being trampled underfoot, the pearls, or or they're about to turn and tear you to pieces, um, that's the time probably to call it quits. Okay, we're not going to do this anymore. Um, obviously, we disagree. It's okay. You've had your, I'll give you the last word. And we give them the last word and we part, part in a friendly fashion. But some people, you just... It, at least at that moment, it's not going to be productive to bang heads with them. Mm -hmm. That's extremely helpful and insightful for those. Um, when, after you realize someone is is uh, ripe, as you would call it, um, how do you transition into that conversation to uh, to lead them uh, to, to Jesus? Because I think people, uh, I don't want to say close the deal, uh, but I do think people struggle uh, to even get to that part, even yeah. when they well, know the conversation gets going that way. Yeah. Well, here is where um, what I'm about to say is going to surprise some people. Okay. Um, and let me back up and put it this way. I was, I became a Christian in the Jesus movement and in the Jesus movement in the sixties or seventies, especially I became a Christian in 1973. There was a very strong emphasis on um, presenting the gospel and inviting people to pray to receive Christ. Now, I think that's okay to do. Uh, and I did that with a lot of people. However, uh, people need to know that this particular approach to evangelism is historically new. 
It started in the mid-1800s with the Second Great Awakening. Charles Finney is principally the author of that kind of thing. And it's it's worked itself, uh, altar calls and that kind of thing, into evangelicalism now. And so this, people think this is the only way that we can do it. And if we we see somebody ready, then we have an obligation to invite them to receive Christ. But you never see anything like that in the New Testament. What you see in the New Testament is a little different model. You see people communicating the gospel in a variety of different ways, and then God working and the people realizing this is true and believing. Think of Acts chapter 10, where uh, Cornelius is being preached at by Peter, and Peter's giving the gospel. People can read it. And in the middle of his sermon, they start speaking in tongues and prophesying. Why? Because the Holy Spirit descended on them in virtue of the faith that they were exercising while they're hearing the gospel. And this is what happens in every single case, in the, whether Jesus preaching and says many, he preaches, and then he says many were believing in him. And uh, Paul goes out and preaches, and it says God opened uh, Lydia's heart to believe the gospel. Or you see Peter in the, uh, in the Pentecost sermon, there they, you know, he, he charges them, and they say, what must we do? And he says, believe. So um, in, in many cases, people just believe. So all this to say is I'm not, I, I'm not, I don't put a big emphasis on trying to um, get people to pray the prayer, okay? Um, what I want people to do, and I actually think there's sometimes there's a little liability in that because we could get false conversions, okay? Um, what I want people to do is encourage people to follow Christ. So if I'm going to be talking with somebody and telling them about Jesus and they're, and they're responding favorably, I'm going to encourage them to follow Christ. Now, I might say, well, uh, would you like to, when I became a Christian, and I tell the date, I, I bowed my head and I prayed and I asked God to come into my life and Jesus to forgive me. Would you like to do something that, like that with me right now? So there's, there's a, a very comfortable way of doing that if you think the fruit is right. But I don't think it's absolutely necessary And it certainly wasn't a pattern in the New Testament. So I guess I want to encourage Christians to emphasize communicating the gospel truthfully, clearly, and persuasively, and graciously. And and then God is going to take care of the rest, the harvest, um, when we do that. That's my own personal conviction. People have different ideas about that. That's okay. Uh, Josh McDowell really shook his finger at me about that one, but that's okay. He's a, he, he's got his own style and that's good for him. But, mm-hmm. uh, but you know, I, uh, I think there's, there are other ways to do this and the new Testament pattern was different. Mm-hmm. This has been such a rich conversation and I believe helpful. What uh, other things would you like to share? What's something else you would like to share about the book that we might not have already discussed that you want people to know? Well, um, I only gave a very, very brief thumbnail sketch of the game plan, which consists of three parts. The first one, you gather information. Second one, you reverse the burden of proof. You find out why they believe what they believe. And the third one is you make your own point, advance the gospel, exploit a weakness or a flaw by using questions. That's it. It's very, very simple. And I think um, some might think, well, that's too simple. No, it's not. <laughs> it is that simple. But but it takes a little practice to feel comfortable in the process if you're used to a more aggressive approach. But I, I'll tell people that, and I, I I mean this is I can say this with complete confidence. No, even if they're total neophytes, uh, they're beginners. 
um, if they begin being students of another person's view, just using the first two steps, um, this is where they're going to gain this comfort level of engaging in conversations because they're going to discover two things. First, that people, when they ask questions and draw the other person out, they're going to discover that people are not as scary as they thought. When you let them talk and explain their view, they're not as scary as you thought. The second thing is you're going to be surprised <laughs> at how shallow some of the reasons are that people give for what they believe. So the second thing you realize is they're not as smart as we thought, you know, now they may be very smart people, but their objections are not as, as sound and powerful as we thought when we listen, certainly we're going to run into things we can't deal with. I run into that. Everybody does, but at least if we stay in conversation as an ambassador for Christ um, and, and, and learn how to have the kinds of conversations I teach people to have using the tactical game plan, it's going to change I can promise this. It's going to change everything for them if they do this. One last thing. Um, a lot, as with many other useful tools, if you don't do it, it don't work. <laughs> <laughs> That's hilarious. That's a great point. That's a, a great point, and it's, it's very hilarious as well. <laughs> but I, I, I think the simplicity of that is, is, is very true. Um, how can people get the book? Well, uh, there's a couple of ways they can go to our website, str.org. The organization I represent stand to reason the acronym str.org. And we have a bookstore there and you can get the book there. Okay. That's one way. A lot of people just go to Amazon and that's just like one click and you're, <laughs> you've got the book in two days. It's, it's in your hands. So I, I suggest uh, if you want to help out Stand a Reason, I think we charge a little bit more, but not much more. And it helps our organization. Then go to str.org and go to the bookstore there and grab the book. Is uh, there an audio book? I know a lot of people oh, are yes, doing audio yes. book now. Uh, there's an audio book and I read it. So I'm the, I'm the reader of the book. They're going to hear my voice doing the book, okay? <laughs> At least in the second edition. The first edition wasn't like that. But the second edition, um, uh, it's my voice. And uh, there's also a Kindle edition, too. So all the standard formats are available. And, uh, and so that's the, that's the simplest way of getting the book. How can people follow you on social media? What's your social media handles? Well, um, Stand to Reason has all the social media things. And we have a team that help put things out on social media. Uh, I'm, not, <laughs> I'm an old guy. You know, I'm not into that so much. I'm trying to think. I think that um, and Greg Kokel is my um, my handle for Twitter, and I, I I don't tweet that often, but you know every few days or whatever. And I think it's the same thing on Facebook. You can find me on Facebook at, at Greg Kokel. But uh, it's the if you go to str.org and go to the very bottom of the of the page, the uh, homepage, you're going to see all of the links to Twitter and the str facebook and all the things that we do whatever they are <laughs> but that's the best place to go for all of our things because it's not just me i'm just one player on a larger team we have three speakers we have other content producers uh we have we have over a thousand videos on our website and i don't mean like an hour and a half long lectures i mean these five to six or seven minute short vignettes that answer questions and deal with issues that make it very very easy to learn that's extremely helpful. Uh, make sure you grab tactics. Um, I have a copy here and I think it'll help you practically engage in conversations because I know a lot of people struggle 
with just having the the conversations uh, with people and they're intimidated by it. So I think you help kind of eliminate that intimidation uh, factor. So thank you for your work and all you've done. Thank you so much for watching another episode of the G3 Project podcast. Remember, you can catch all our past episodes at g3project.org. You can get our new curriculum through Eyes of Color. You can get merch, you take online courses, and you can also donate. Every gift helps equip. Remember here at the G3 Project, we're helping you to know what you believe and why you believe it. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of the G3 Project podcast. I hope you enjoyed this episode. You can tune into all our past episodes at www.g3project.com. You can subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play. Remember not only to subscribe, but also rate us. That helps us to gauge how we're doing and how you're enjoying the show. And it gives other listeners some ideas about the show as well. So thank you so much for tuning in. Also, remember we have our Bible engagement app in partnership with Back to the Bible to help you get better engaged in the Bible every single day. You take a survey, it assesses your strengths and weaknesses and sends you Bible verses based on those. So it's a great app. You can download the app by searching in your app store or Google Play, searching G3 Project, and it'll be right there for you. So thank you again. Remember, if you would like to become a monthly partner or a one-time giver, you can do so on our website or by mail. Just go to g3project.com, hit that donate tab, and you'll see the option to mail in a gift or give online. We appreciate you, and I'm so, so thankful for you. God bless, and remember, here at the Jupe 3 Project, we're helping you to know what you believe and why you believe it.